0: I'd like for you to open with me in your Bibles this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. If you don't have one with you, there's one in front, but also the text is printed in your worship folder on the left-hand side in the middle. If you'd like to look there and follow along with me as I read this passage from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians... Second Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no man according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Will you pray with me, please? Father, as we open Your Word this morning, and hear Your servant, the Apostle Paul, describing his ministry and the passion behind his ministry, That You had given to Him the ministry of reconciliation. I pray that You would open our eyes this morning to all that You have done for us in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that this morning would be a day of celebration of resurrection and a day of reconciliation. I pray, Lord, that the healing power of your Holy Spirit might move upon our congregation this morning if there are relationships that are damaged or broken. Perhaps today would be the day of reconciliation. But, Lord, above and beyond all of the things, it is important that we be reconciled to you. And I pray that by your Holy Spirit you who caused and called light to shine out of the darkness, would cause your light to shine in our hearts, that you would open the eyes of our understanding, unstop our spiritual ears that we might perceive the truth, and that you would come to us today in the ministry of reconciliation, that we might be in perfect fellowship with You, the living God, Maker of heaven and earth, and our Maker. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes there are words that as you think about them and kind of let them roll off of your tongue, And listen to the sound of the syllables. They take on a character of their own. Some words, when you treat them that way, become quite beautiful. Reconciliation is one of those words. When you hear it, when you think about it, it conjures up all kinds of imagery of restoration of relationships, of of warmth and caring, of... New unity and harmony. I remember a time of reconciliation that occurred in my life many years ago when I was at the General Council of the Christian Missionary Alliance out in Denver. And a man and his wife were there at council that year who had been involved in a church plant that I had started in Franklin, Tennessee. And we had labored together, we had visited together, we had had prayer meeting in their home, we had worked side by side, we had laughed together, we had shared meals together, we were as close as friends could be. But somewhere along the way from the very beginnings of that church with only three families to its growth, there came some sort of separation of vision. Somehow the ideas got skewed. We weren't on the same page any longer. And then eventually that separation of vision resulted in great damage being done to the church as a result of frustration and rebellion. and So... We soon found ourselves, who had been so close, now so very far away. There seemed to be no way to bridge the gap. The damage had been done. There was suffering, and there was sorrow, and there was emotional pain. And over time, the years passed. Eventually, he and his wife and family moved from the area. And they went out to Denver, where they themselves decided that God was leading them to plant a church. Not long after that, this general council occurred. We were meeting in Denver. I knew that this couple uh, lived out there. And one evening at the council meeting, there was an opportunity to go down. It was held in an arena, and there was the opportunity to go down on the floor of the arena and just to spend some time in prayer and perhaps connecting with others in small huddles and small groups. And over the years, God had done a work in their life, and God had done a work in my life. There had been the opportunity in the Spirit to grant forgiveness before God, but there had not been the opportunity to meet face-to-face and to restore the relationship. And I will never forget that evening that I moved forward down to the floor area and sought them out. And interestingly enough, they too were hoping to seek me out. And we met in the convention center arena in Denver, Colorado. In a small huddle, the three of us, asking and receiving forgiveness, experiencing Renewal of love and restoration of fellowship as we stood together and prayed and asked God to renew and refresh our relationship and to put the past behind us that we might walk as brothers and sisters in Christ from that time forward. Reconciliation, a beautiful word. A beautiful occurrence. The word conciliation brings up all kinds of other words. Words like graciousness, like humility, like uh, reaching out, warmth, uh, a, a, a spirit of openness, of compassion. And to be reconciled means to restore that kind of harmony that kind of intimacy that is so much enjoyed in a relationship that is on track perhaps you have experienced reconciliation in your life in some uh, human relationship and you know the the sweetness and the savor of that moment when you can lay aside all the things that have happened and put them away and and Put them under the blood of Christ and move on together, walking once again on the same path in harmony. Perhaps you have relationships that need to be reconciled, and the Word has for you this morning a kind of longing that you wish reconciliation could occur. It is interesting that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the passage that we read, the Apostle Paul describes what God has done with respect to us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as reconciliation. It implies that there was a breach in the relationship, that there was separation, that there was some damage done that there needed to be some kind of meeting of the mind, some mediation. There needed to be some connection and restoration. Oftentimes, when reconciliation occurs, it really takes the stronger person to take the initiative. I'm speaking of maturity and of strength of character. Sometimes it takes that person who is Uh, willing to, to go the extra mile to go more than halfway to reach out and begin the process. Sometimes it's even the party who has been wounded. But after reflecting on the insult, the realization comes to them that the injury suffered is not worth the loss of the relationship. And so they make the effort and the initiative to restore fellowship and to try to somehow bridge the gap in a relationship that has gone wrong. Paul tells us that God Himself is the one in our broken relationship, yours and mine with Almighty God. In that broken relationship, God is the one who has taken the initiative. If you look with me in verses 18 and 19, it says, Now all of these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. In other words, Paul tells us that in the broken relationship that human beings experienced with Almighty God, that He Himself has taken the initiative to bridge the gap. He is the one who took the first step. In fact, He took many steps throughout the history of the Old Testament. But we come to the advent of Jesus Christ and ultimately to His atoning death on the cross of Calvary. And find that God has taken the initiative to restore our relationship to Himself. That's really quite amazing considering the fact that by very definition and by revelation, God can do no wrong. That He has never done anything to offend us. That He never needs to ask us for forgiveness on His behalf. That He never needs to come to us and admit that He has made some error in in, in our walk or has uh, put too much of a burden upon us or in some other way has offended us. Because the Scripture says He is a holy God. He never lies. He never cheats. He never steals. He never covets. He never behaves wrongly in all of His character and all of His attributes. God is always and forever holy. And righteous. He never makes a mistake. And yet, we who have been estranged from Him. The Scripture says God took the initiative to reconcile us to Himself. In our case, in our relationship with God, reconciliation requires an atonement for sin. You know, it's hard to be reconciled to someone if uh, that moment comes when you think, I'd like to restore this relationship, I'd like to make things better. And you go and you make that effort to do that, and they act like nothing ever happened. And they did nothing wrong. And why are you there staring at them like that? Because they are completely innocent in this matter. And, And you know how that feels, don't you? You were hoping there would be some meeting of the mind. You were hoping there would be some connection. That you would be able to acknowledge the problem. And then move beyond it. That you could openly face it and then put it behind you. But they're not going there. And that's a little difficult. But in God's relationship with us, when He comes to us, There is a problem that needs to be addressed. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That we have an estrangement from a holy God that exists because we have offended Him. There is actual sin in our lives. And the Bible says that God is a God who cannot bear to look upon iniquity. And so, in order to reconcile, there must be a frank acknowledgement of the problem. And there must be some way to deal with it, in order to get beyond it. And Paul reveals to us in this passage in Corinthians, that reconciliation requires atonement for our sin. Look in verse 19. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In order for reconciliation to occur with God, there has to be an acknowledgement of the problem, and then there has to be a solution. And the Bible says that because God is a holy God, the soul that sins must die. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There has to be a payment, there has to be a covering. There has to be some way to deal with the problem in the relationship in order to restore the fellowship. And the Scripture says that God also took that responsibility upon Himself. That Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, was willing to go to the cross of Calvary for you and for me, and to become sin. For us, in order that there might be a real payment that was acceptable to God in terms of righteousness and the requirements of the law, that there had to be a payment for sin committed, and that Jesus Christ was adequate to make that payment. In fact, he was more than adequate we met here Friday evening and we considered the events surrounding the last night of Jesus Christ before the crucifixion, His arrest, His trial, His prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And as we considered Him in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember Him praying three times, Father, if it is at all possible... If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Our Lord Jesus Christ was both fully God and fully man. And though this moment in history, in fact the most important moment in history, had been planned before the foundation of the world, God knowing all things could see, That Adam and Eve and all of their children down through the years would depart from His ways. And a sacrifice would be required. And Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That this moment in history was the only thing that would restore fellowship with God. It was the only way to cover sin. It was the only way to have human beings back in eternity in the presence of the Father in a forever family. It was the only way to do that. And yet, Jesus Christ, the man in the Garden of Gethsemane, contemplated all that that event would mean the next day. The abuse, the ridicule, The crown of thorns, as tormenting as they might have been in the flesh, could not compare to the experience that he would undergo as he hung upon the cross of Calvary and he who knew no sin. He who had never for a second in all of eternity been separated from his Father. He who had never experienced being cut off from that vital relationship that he enjoyed in the presence of the Holy Trinity was going to become the sin-bearer. And as he took upon himself the sins of the whole world and everyone who's ever lived and receive those into His body. Of necessity, the Father would turn away from Him and for some prescription of time only known in the heart and mind of God, Jesus Christ would hang there between God and men bearing the sin of the world, separated from His Father and from the ministry of the Holy Spirit, alone, enduring the shame and the sin of the cross. I cannot even imagine in my own heart and mind I can't even begin to put myself in the, in the shoes of Jesus there in the Garden of Gethsemane. As awful as crucifixion was, as awful as the trial and, and all of the torture was going to be, I think the thing that most terrified Jesus the man was being separated from the Father. Bearing the sin. Taking upon Himself, in essence, the punishment of the sins of every human being that has ever lived or ever will live. That somehow in those hours upon the cross, being the infinite God-man, He would accept the sin of the whole world upon Himself. Being man, He could meet the requirements of the law. The soul that sins will die. Being God, in His infinitude, He could die A thousand million billion deaths at once for all of human beings, all humankind. And the scripture says that God, God led him to the cross. And God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Friends, I submit to you this morning that God has taken the giant step in the effort of reconciliation. He has put upon Jesus Christ, His Son, our sin. Jesus Christ has embraced it for the joy set before Him. God has allowed Him to bear your sin and mine in order that we might be restored. Because to have fellowship with God means to be restored in righteousness. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? How can God walk with a person who is rebellious and self-willed and intent on their own desires? How can God work with, walk with someone who only wants their own way and to do their own thing? All we like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. How can God walk with us if we are not of the same heart and mind with Him? And yet He has put upon Jesus Christ that rebellion, that indifference, that independence, that self-will, that determination to have our own way. He has put it upon Jesus Christ. So that in Christ, He could restore in us new life, new desires, new interests, new passions. Jesus Christ became sin for us. That we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. The third thing that stands out to me in this passage is that reconciliation requires... Jesus Christ. Friends, I want to tell you this morning that God has come in Jesus Christ to redeem us, to save us, to reconcile us, and that there is no other way. Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, if it be Thy will, if there's any way, let this cup pass from Me. If there's any way, But there is no other way. There is no other solution. There is no other remedy. There was no way around the cross. Jesus Christ is essential to reconciliation. In these eight verses, the noun Christ is used seven times. In these eight verses, pronouns are Referring to Christ are used five times. In these verses, eight verses, twelve times, Jesus Christ is referred to as the center and focus of reconciliation. We need to recognize this morning and make no bones about it. We need to be very clear about this. We have been given, those of us who know Him, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the privilege of announcing the good news that God in Jesus Christ has reconciled us to Himself. We need to understand what that means. It means there is no other way for it to happen. The Bible is very clear in what it claims. The Bible claims to be inspired by God. Which God? The One who is... Almighty in the heavens. The One who is the Maker of heaven and earth. The One who made everything that there is. The God who is the Author of all of life. The Bible claims to represent that God. God claims to be that God. Jesus Christ, throughout the Scriptures, is testified that He is the Son of God. And even when he stood before the high priest and was posed the question, Are you the Son of God? Yes, I am. There is absolutely no question when Thomas, as we saw this morning in the sunrise service in the reading, as Thomas in the upper room in the second week after the resurrection looked at Jesus Christ standing there in front of him in the flesh. And Jesus said, Thomas... Reach forth your hand. Touch the nail prints in My hand. Put your hand in My side where the spear went. See if I am not real. And Thomas proclaimed, My Lord and My God. There is no question in Scripture that Jesus Christ is Almighty God, fully God, fully man, begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, He is the only one. God tells us that the only way to come back to Him is to come through Jesus Christ. There's no other solution. We have to be absolutely clear about it. Why is this the case? Because no one else is qualified to bear the sin of the world. No other human being since... Adam was created by God in a perfect state. No other human being can lay claim to absolute sinlessness. No other human being can go to the cross on our behalf and offer a totally pure life. One that has never made a mistake. Never erred. Never offended. Never lied. Never Thought inappropriate thoughts, never coveted, never stolen, never desired anything that wasn't His, never blasphemed, never lost His temper. Oh, you say, wait a minute, what about the temple? Well, yes. Jesus Christ demonstrated the wrath of God, but on His own. He did not selfishly throw a tantrum. Never talked back to His mother. Think about the implications of this. Never disobeyed His Father. Never told a white lie. Never exaggerated a claim, playing ball or fishing. Jesus Christ was absolutely, totally, perfectly, completely without sin. No one else could make that claim. Jesus Christ is the only one in whom The human body that He inhabited also contained the very essence of the eternal Son of God. He was the only one that could go to a cross and die for the sins of millions. No one else could do that. And so the Scripture is very plain, and Jesus Himself says it in John chapter 14. Thomas says to him, Thomas has always got these questions, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we possibly know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way, both the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. We need to be very clear in our proclamation of the gospel, friends. Muhammad never died for your sins. Buddha never died for your sins. Confucius never died for your sins. All the religions of the world cannot produce a risen teaching master, resurrected from the grave, alive evermore. No one else could bear the sin of the world. No one else could take our guilt and our shame. No one can do this but Jesus. And the Bible, which purports to be the inspired Word of God, declares Him to be the Son of God in righteousness. There is no other way to God. Because no one else can do what He has done. Religions may give you good ideas, useful platitudes, nice sayings. Other religions may give you a moralistic way of living or provide some order to your life. But no one can remove your sin except Jesus. And friends, the Bible is very clear that in order to be reconciled to God, our sin must be removed. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. No one else qualifies. I want to make it clear in case you didn't get what I said a moment ago. You cannot be a Muslim and go to heaven. You cannot be a Buddhist and go to heaven. You cannot be some other religion and go to heaven. You cannot be Jewish and deny the the Messiahship of Jesus Christ who walked from Nazareth 2,000 years ago as the Son of God. If you deny that, you cannot go to heaven. The reason is not because God is a bigot. The reason is not because He doesn't like you or like other religions. The reason is no one can remove your sin but Jesus. And your problem is, you and I are sinners. And we have offended God, and we need to be reconciled. And the only way to be reconciled is to have that sin removed. And the only one qualified to do it according to the Scripture is Jesus Christ. He is the only way to God. Someone asked in the book of Acts to the apostles, What must we do to be saved? And the answer was very clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, you and your household, for there is no other name given under heaven among men whereby you must be saved except Jesus Christ. There is no other solution. There is no other way. Finally, friends, reconciliation restores relationship. The atoning death of Christ brings the forgiveness of sin, but resurrection brings transformation. Listen again to the words of this passage. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, That one died for all, therefore all died. That means that in His death, we were able to die to our sin. By faith, trusting Jesus Christ as the risen Savior, we are able to die in the death that He died. God does this wonderful thing called imputation. He credits us with the payment of Jesus Christ, if we will trust Him. And so He says, in Him therefore all died, and He died for all. Why? That they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Do you see that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave on our behalf, that we might be transformed? That our lives might be changed. That you don't have to go on uh, uh, in bondage to your sinful patterns and habits. You don't have to go on dealing with those personality quirks that are so annoying to everybody else. You don't have to go on living with those habitual sins that drag you down. Jesus Christ is able to transform you. he's able to release you. He is able to free you. he's able to change you. So that you can live for Him. So that you can walk the path together. That's being reconciled to God. He comes and walks with us. Isn't that a beautiful thing, friends? Jesus said to His disciples, those who had put their total trust in Him, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As you go to the ends of the earth, I will be with you always. He is willing to come alongside and walk with us as we live for Him. And then he says in verse 17, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. God promises to change our essential nature. He promises to take us from being those who are bent on self-will, bent on having our own way, determined to do it our way, and transform the very character of our nature by the new birth that we now have a passion and a desire to walk with God and to please Him. A desire to embrace His will. A desire to to, to do... Some people say, what do I have to give up to become a Christian? And they're thinking, well, is it gambling? Is it drinking? Is it smoking? Is it going out with the guys to the bar? What do I have to give up to become a Christian? My answer to you is, you don't have to give up anything to become a Christian except your life. Lay it down for Jesus. He will guide you from that moment on. It is preposterous for me to try to tell you what things in your life you should relinquish. Jesus doesn't say give up anything. He just says, come to the cross. Come to Me. I will change you. I will work in you. I will give you new interests. I will give you new appetites. I will give you new passions. I will give you new desires. I will set your feet upon a path of righteousness. I will give you the way in which you should walk. All you have to do is come to me. And you don't have to worry about any of the rest of it. Now, it is true that whenever the Holy Spirit begins to deal with your heart, usually He points out something in your life. You become aware, I need reconciliation. I need forgiveness. God puts His finger on something. We must turn from our sin. But I'm not saying that that any of those things I've mentioned are sin. Those are not the issues. The issue is, what is God talking to you about? What is He putting His finger on in your life? What do you become aware of? That God says there is this problem between me and you. And I have dealt with it in Jesus Christ. And I'm willing to receive you through Him. Will you give me your life? And then He says, I will change you. I will give you new life. I will give you new interest. I will transform your desires. He even makes this almost ludicrous promise in Psalm 37, but it's because of the transformation. Trust in the Lord. Delight yourself in Him. And He will give you the desires of your heart. But if you trust in the Lord and delight yourself in Him, He is safe in making that offer. Because He will change you from the inside out. I want to conclude this morning with these last verses. Verse 20. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 10 Speak some very frightening words. If you're following in your Bible, it's Hebrews 10 beginning in verse 26. But just listen if you don't have it ready at hand. Just listen. For if we go on sinning willfully, after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. What he's saying is, once you've heard the truth, and it's been plainly declared, there is no other way. It's just another way of saying what I said a few minutes ago. There is no other way. This is the answer. This is the only way to God. This is the only way to ensure eternal life. This is the only way to be reconciled. There's no other solution. There's not going to be another answer. There will never be anyone after Jesus. 2,000 years ago, He died on the cross, and He said, It is finished. The debt is paid. There's no other answer. And so He continues, There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will reserve, deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and regarded as unclean and useless the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I want to tell you a little story about how I came to preach the message I preached this morning every year as we approach Resurrection Sunday like most pastors I suppose I look for some new take on the resurrection some new facet of truth that I can bring and so I began to look at all the resurrection passages and I could not get out of my mind the verse God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself couldn't get it out of my mind And I prayed over it, and I prayed over it, and I felt clearly impressed that God wanted me to speak from these verses. And I said, Lord, the resurrection is mentioned here, (laughs) but this is not the focus of the resurrection. This is all about reconciliation. And then he showed me verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were entreating through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ be reconciled to God. Many of you are parents. Some of you are actively raising your children. Others of you have already accomplished that. Well, perhaps. And you know the feeling that you have or had whenever they just defiantly disobeyed and you had to bring some kind of discipline, correction. My mother used to say, although I never believed it then, it hurts me worse than it does you. But I was the one getting the spanking. And I was quite confident that I was being hurt more until I became a parent. And then I realized how much it took out of me to, of necessity, be harsh with my children. I hated that. And I want you to know this morning that it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God... And God Himself says, I take no pleasure in the punishment of the wicked, the guilty. I take no pleasure in that. There is a warning here. I am a holy God, He says. I will deal with sin. I cannot be who I am and ignore it. And if you show up in My presence without being reconciled to Me through Jesus Christ, I have no other choice but to punish you eternally by letting you die forever for your own sin because you have refused the substitutionary sacrifice of my Son, and I have no choice. And God spoke to my heart in these verses saying, I'm begging you be reconciled to me through Christ. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have given you the best I have to give. I have come to You for reconciliation. I have offered My Son, who knew no sin, for You to be redeemed and reconciled and saved. I beg You, come to Me. And I want to tell you this morning, this is God's plea to you. This is not mine. This is God's plea. Be reconciled to Jesus Christ. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Some of you here this morning have never been reconciled to God. You're still walking at odds with Him. Some of you here this morning may never see another Easter. Those of you who know me well know that I'm not prone to those kinds of statements. But I sat back in my office and said, God, do you want me to say that? And he said, yes, I do. I want you to make it clear. You may not see another Easter. You may not have another opportunity. There may never be another chance for you to come to Jesus Christ and receive the atonement and the sacrifice that He has made For your sin, this may be the last chance you ever get. And God says, I beg you. I beg you. Because if you show up in My presence without the atonement for sin, I have no choice but to judge you. And I want you to live with Me forever. I beg you, be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. And so I bring a message this morning that I believe comes straight from God's heart. That He was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He was in Christ reaching out to you. He is in Christ wanting to bring you close to Himself. He is in Christ wanting to walk with you. He wants to bridge the gap. He wants to... Take away the enmity and strife. He wants to restore fellowship. And he says, will you come to me? Will you receive the payment of Jesus Christ and be reconciled to God? I beg you on behalf of Jesus Christ. Father, I come this morning in His precious name. And I pray that You would move throughout this congregation and touch hearts for those of us who are restored in fellowship with You. Impress upon us the ministry of reconciliation. We have been given a precious gift. Paul says in just an earlier chapter We have a treasure in earthen vessels. We are containers of the living God, and we are your ambassadors to herald the good news. And it is good news. There is a way home, there's a way out of sin, there's a way back to God. That way is Jesus Christ. Lord, give us courage to speak that message with joy. With, with enthusiasm, and with crystal clarity. Let us not be ashamed. Let us not back down from declaring the truth that He is the only way back to you, our Father. Jesus Christ. Then I pray, Father, for those that may be in this room this morning that have not been reconciled. O Lord, in Jesus' name, move upon them today. You who called light out of darkness, cause the light to shine within their hearts. Open eyes right now, make it crystal clear. Pour out upon them your love, your compassion, your grace. May they be aware like never before how much You care for them, how much You've loved them, how much You long for them to walk the journey with You, how much You want to come alongside them in the path, how much You desire to be reconciled and give them faith today to lay aside their own ways and their sins and to turn to Jesus Christ in full Trusting faith, to receive the payment that He made on the cross, to believe that He did indeed bear their sin, and He carried their punishment in order that they can be restored. Give the faith in this moment to believe. everyone comes through the same door with words something like this. Lord Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have offended you. I know that I deserve punishment. But today I want to turn from that whole history and from my self-will I want to turn to you, Lord Jesus, and receive the sacrifice that you made for me on the cross. To believe that you died to take away my sin. And this day forward to follow you with all of my heart. I give you my life. And I thank you for giving your life for me. In Jesus' name.